Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons of the International Christian Embassy coming to you from our headquarters in Jerusalem. Just want to welcome everyone. Uh, if you're on the Facebook Live or over on YouTube channel and you need translation, we have Portuguese, Chinese, French, and Spanish over here in the webinar, in the Zoom session. We have a really great program for you today. We're glad you've joined us because uh, our guests today are uh, important officials down in the Israeli communities along the Gaza border, who last weekend went through another one of these uh, intense rocket wars and escalation between uh, Israel, the IDF, and some of these uh, Palestinian terror militias in Gaza. And we're going to talk to them, uh, get in a conversation about what this was like for them, how, how do they cope with life on the border, and the important question, will the uh, current ceasefire, uh, is it going to last? Is it going to hold? And uh, we introduce our uh, guests. We have the mayor of the Sha'ar Hanegev Regional Council with us. This is Mr. Ovir, uh, Ophir Lipstein. Good to have you with us, Ophir. Hello. Hello from yes. Israel. Hello from Sha'ar Hanegev. And I'm very happy to be here. Okay. Now, uh, he's going to be with us for about 15 minutes or so here. He has time to be with us. And then uh, his colleague, uh, um, Yahel Ben-Ari, who's the spokesman for the Sha'ar HaNegev Regional Council, will finish out today's webinar with us. But Mr. Mayor, uh, tell us, what was it like for, for you and all the communities in your region? I understand you you're in all the farming communities out around Sterot, which is right near the border. And what was it like for y'all last weekend? Start before in, in Tuesday, it started. Because in the first three days, almost four days, three and a half, it was like a quiet war. No shooting, no rocket, but everything was closed. The army said nobody supposed to be on the border or to be that from the other side, someone can see you because we know that the Jihad Islamic, many teams of anti-tank rockets was waiting to catch, to catch a bus or, or, or a car with people, with their citizen. And this is what they want to do, a terror attack. And for almost four days, three and a half days, they just was waiting, then we will do some mistake. And we have, uh, because the army said, nobody go out, nobody go in, be careful. They can see you that only in Friday afternoon, the army, the Israeli army had the opportunity to catch some terrorists and to found them. And that was the start of the three days of escalation in this uh, operation. In those days, they shot more than 1,000 rockets to Israel. 300 rockets was on Shah Negev, 
And maybe later we will see the map to understand what is Shara Negev. Shara Negev, it's a region next to the border with uh, 10 kibbutzim. It's kind of a village, kibbutz, and one a village. And this is Shara Negev. We have here 10,000 people that live at the border, on the border, in the Yishuvi, in the, in the uh, kibbutzim. And just imagine, 300 times we was running to the shelter when the alarm was uh, make the noise. You know, red color, red color, red color. And we was supposed to run to the shelter. And this is, was our last week. Hmm. Yeah, it shows that the IDF had good intelligence on uh, what was happening over in Gaza, what their plans were. Uh, but, uh, you know, that must be reassuring for you. But, you know, you're living there and, and you're really dependent on the IDF protection, but they have their own objectives and, and tasks to carry out. It's not necessarily yours. That must not be easy for you. Yeah, we, we trust our, you know, IDF, but we was very happy that this time the government of Israel decide to give a green line to the IDF, to the Israeli army to shoot, not, and, and not to wait until they will shoot on Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, because they know they want to shoot on us, the the the, uh, uh, the terrorist organization over there was ready to shoot and to kill and to make a terror attack. And uh, this is, I think, it's very important for us because we now feel better that we, that the army was keep and uh, you know do everything to keep our life and didn't wait until they would shoot far, forward, you know, to Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And it's very important. Okay, if we can put up this map of the area of the uh, Sha'ar HaNegev and uh, then focus in so people can see it. Mr. Mayor, explain to our people a little bit about uh, why you are so vulnerable right along the, the border there. I, I understand the Iron Dome doesn't work at such close range and you have a lot less time to get into shelters. Only a, 15, 20 seconds. We got 15 seconds. And, you know, even the Aaron, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. It's something very good. Yeah. It's a miracle. You know, 96% of the rocket, it, it, can, it, it, it can, you know, found the solution for 96%. But still, because we are so close to the, to the border, we have rocket that you know just fall before even the alarm are starting uh, sometimes and this is something that you support us so much it's 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 unbelievable you know just to understand in the last 10 years we grow only in Shara Negev Shara Negev it's where you can see all the red point on the map this is the area of Shara Negev and we grow from 5,200 people to almost 10,000. And this is because we know 
We have friends all over the world and help us like you done to help us to build, you know, shelter all over this area. And we can feel more safe. And we have, you know, for our children, they can go outside uh, from, uh, from uh, you know, from the home and they know they will find the shelter when the rocket will start. And this is a great opportunity to say, thank you so much for your helping us to make this area stronger and bigger. And your help, it's uh, very helpful for us. Yeah, so over the last 15 years, the Christian Embassy has donated uh, around 140 portable bomb shelters down along the Gaza border area. I think it's 32 of them in the regional council of uh, Sha'ar Hanegev, which is uh, 10 kibbutzim or Moshavim farming communities out and around Sterot. And uh, look, they don't have much time to hide. And we're just pleased that these people are you know, we're helping them stay in place so that they don't get chased out of their homes and their businesses, their farms by these terrorists. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, for your children and your families and all that we're providing you not only with safety, but with some peace of mind. Yeah. Just imagine 300 rocket in 52 hours. It means every hour, we got more than five rockets. Just imagine you sit in your home or you are outside of your home and every hour, it means every 20 minutes you have alarm, then you need to run to the shelter. And this has helped us very, very much. And I think the connection with uh, your embassy here in Jerusalem is very important. You know, you're gonna, uh, it was, come to visit uh, and we just met met before i think uh, two months he was in my house he come to visit and i think we are dreaming to do something together to bring you all of you when you are going to come to israel in a sukkot and you're going to be in jerusalem we want to guest you to bring you here to gaza envelope and to come to visit us and you are more than welcome and we are waiting for you that you will come to visit us here and to see the border, to see how close it's for the, for the other side. You know, all our children, almost all our children, or before or after or in psychological commitment, you know, it's not easy, it's like, you got two stories inside us. One story, it's a beautiful story. You know, agriculture and the border, um, industry, high tech, everything. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's 95% of the time here, it's the best place to live. But 5% of the time, it's not easy at all. And those 5% of the time, being almost all our children to do uh, uh, psychological equipment and all of us, even me, I'm not ashamed to say that we are suffer from post 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 trauma, mm-hmm. and this is something that um, you know me, my children, everyone. But in after everything, we are keep growing. 
Yeah. More people want to come to live, to be part of this amazing community. And this is our secret weapon, you know. Not <laughs> only the IDF, the Israeli army, we got the community here. And this is the story. Yeah, I was a little shocked. Uh, we were down in Starot, uh a few months ago. It was first time in two years due to Corona. And I was surprised all the cranes uh, and all the building sites and the apartment buildings going around in and around your area that the place is growing. And it's amazing testament to your faith. We do look forward to being with you at Sukkot. Uh, we have an eight-day celebration up in the Galilee in Jerusalem. But the last day, the eighth day, we're going down to Sha'ar HaNegev, the Gaza border area, and hold a solidarity rally with our friends down there that we've been helping with bomb shelters, with firefighting equipment, and in other ways. And we're going to uh, uh, partner with uh, uh, the Jewish National Fund, Kakal, to plant trees along at a couple kibbutzim, so that mayor, like like you said, if if the trees are a visual border, those anti-tank uh, rockets, the those uh, terrorists can't shoot them. They don't know, they can't see what they're shooting at, cars and all going down the road. So it's uh, we look forward to that, but uh, we just wish you the best and pray safety on all your communities and families there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, we will meet in uh, October in Sukkot here in Israel, in Shara Negev. I will waiting for you. Thank you very much, David. <laughs> yes. You're going to have some baskets of fruit like that for us, huh? <laughs> no problem. It's, okay. it's, for, it's, it's for plastic. It's not for weed. It's just for, uh, for the... Oh, just, for uh, just kidding. This okay. is the fruit from the Israeli land. <laughs> oh, my. This is, this is our fruit. Then thank you very much. Yeah, and we'll stay with you for more questions, more things. Then thank you. Yes. Bye -bye. Thank you. Yahel, Yahel, thank you uh, for joining us as well. And uh, I know these, whenever things escalate, what, what happens with your communities? All your families have to go stay in bomb shelters. Are, are you and or the security teams able to get up and go around and sort of help with the IDF, making sure everything's okay? Well, uh, hi, everybody. Um, so uh, unfortunately, we have been drilling this, uh, this uh, escalation uh, for quite a time now, over 20 years. And... We have become an expert. And one of the things we found out is when the artillery starts, there's no point to keep the kids around and people who, who can do their business from other places. So the first thing we do is we try to evacuate the population, uh, especially from the near border uh, communities. If Sharnagev has 12 communities altogether, some of them, about six of them are really on the border. And these are the first one we take away from the area for respite, um, to get away from the noises, uh, of course, from the danger. And the thing is, we don't just send them away. We do it organized by the regional uh, municipality. So the communities goes as, as a community to uh, one place. 
Um, we also send our resilience team and social workers to every one of the communities, wherever they are, to spend the time with them, uh, to make sure that the community is running over there. Uh, and about 20% of the population will stay in the, in the communities uh, because we have the cow sheds, the chicken houses, the farm uh, that we have to take care of. And of course, the security people, the firefighters, volunteers, because a lot of the time, uh, fires happening due to rocket fire. And, and we have to be there to join the, for, uh, to join the forces, the emergency forces. Uh, so whoever is taking part as a volunteer of this of emergency uh, teams will stay in the area, but the families will go. Uh, the, the young kids, the young families will go away and come back when it's finished. Yeah, um, how, uh, how informed does the IDF uh, keep you as, as like officials over these areas? Uh, you know, did they give you some idea whether this would be a short escalation or maybe something longer? Did they tell you whether they expected Hamas to join in or not? Well, let, let's, uh, let's uh, uh, divide it to two, uh, the answer to two. First of all, the, the routine <clears throat> or the routine is uh, we're working together with the, with the army and with the police and with all the forces, uh, with all the teams. Uh, we have our own uh, emergency team in every community and they have direct connection and we get the alerts. Uh, they know when rockets are going to fly and they alert us, go into the safe rooms now uh, and so on. This is all the time uh, cooperation all the time. But uh, usually we don't, we do not, uh, uh, we're not involved in the operation itself. Uh, usually uh, this time, uh, it was the first time that we were a part of the decision-making in a way as, as much as possible. You know, you don't let civilians take the decisions, but uh, one thing uh, the Ministry of Defense did, Benny Gantz, uh, he, he came here on Friday morning talking to the mayors of the authorities of the Gaza envelope. That's this Sharon was right and, before it all started and blew yes, up. And, and he came to listen to the mayors and the mayors tell, told him, it's nice that there are no rockets flying, but we can, you cannot lock down the communities for four days without any, uh, anything uh, coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was part of his decision to try and get the, the terror squads that were threatening the, the roads. This is where it's all started. Mm -hmm. um, so this decision was, was taking, uh, I we would like to believe, when talking to the mayors of the, of the Gaza envelope. Mm -hmm. In a way, again, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a governmental decision and intelligent decision and army decisions, but we, we did feel like we are brought into the thinking and Ophir mentioned that uh, because until now, what used to be is that rockets were flying, nothing uh, was moving forward, like maybe a small attack here and there. And only when the rockets go, get to Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, then the real uh, war started. Mm -hmm. uh, this time it was different and we really felt uh, that uh, paying attention to our needs, to our thoughts, 
and really putting us in the thinking cycle. Yeah. And this this all had to do with something going on in the in the West Bank in Judea Samaria uh, far from you that uh, I believe uh, the IDF had concluded that there had been uh, quite a few terror attacks, shootings, other incidents uh, in, in Judea Samaria that they concluded Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which answers straight to Iran. Uh, they were behind it and they were arresting some guys. They arrested someone in uh, Janine or, or Nablus and, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad then started plotting to fire uh, anti-tank rockets at uh, Israeli vehicles along the border. That's how it escalated. This is it's like, it has nothing to do with y'all, but that's how it happened. That's not easy. Yes. Most of this uh, escalation starts for political reasons. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we've been, I'm not a professional or a political reporter or anything. I've just been living here. I was born in Kibbutz Erez and I've been living here for the last uh, more, um, for the last 20 years of this security situation. And we know that if something happens in Jenin, we are are packing our bags and we're getting ready, you know? Um, And and sometimes it's ridiculous because sometimes the political issues are between the organizations inside Gaza, between Hamas and Jihad, for example, usually it is between Jihad and uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas. And and the jihad shoots rockets because he knows he would get Hamas in trouble when he shoots rockets. Yeah. And they want to show them uh, who's the boss. So they're shooting yeah. rockets. Sometimes the rockets go to the sea or maybe they fall inside Gaza, but sometimes not. And we are we just happen to be there. We're not part of this uh, thing at all. Um, it's interesting. That's the role Hamas used to play with Fatal and Palestinian Authority. They were always shooting and trying to embarrass the PA and now they that they have to rule Gaza the calculations are a little different I don't think they've given up on destroying Another, Israel uh, again yeah. and not as a political reporter but as someone who lives there, here we see a very a very strong change with the Hamas leadership uh, who actually went in from a terror organization to the sovereigns of, of Gaza Mm-hmm. And they understand, they finally understand that they have population to take care of, to their education, to their uh, food, to their water, drinking water. It's a serious problem in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, electricity is running very low on, uh, on Gaza, just a couple of hours a day, sometimes not at all. Uh, sewage system, that kind of thing. And we see step by step that Hamas understands that he needs to run his place runs his state or his uh, or, or his local uh, uh, people, and he's not in a hurry to join the action. It's true that some people say, uh, "Well, just stop me if I go too much in the into the politics." But I think no, that's all right. Please, please. It's, I think it's interesting because some people say. Oh, Hamas is very happy for this. Jihad and Israel are fighting. Very good for Hamas. It's we do not believe this is the reason why they did not join this party. Uh, Hamas understands and calculates what's good for him, and he sees the economical benefits uh, he gets with the last couple of months 
with the 14,000 permits for Gazians to cross the border to Israel to work. Mm-hmm. You know, the over 65% unemployment in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Hamas r- understand how important work is for the people of Gaza. They want to bring bread to their families. Um, and, and he understand that if he starts with rockets, the numbers will go down again. And because uh, until uh, two years ago, we had uh, maybe a few hundreds of permits. And now we have 14,000 permits. That's a lot. And for the first time, starting this month, for the first time in many years, uh, 1,500 1, of these permits are working visa. All mm-hmm. the others uh, could not legally work in Israel. And now we have 1,500 workers that can work in a legal way inside Israel. Uh, and this is this is not only the concept, but think of the Israeli salaries, which is of course much higher than the salary in Gaza. Coming into Gaza, every provider, every every working man that comes out to work in Israel provides 9.5 uh, people in Gaza. So it's like 10 times uh, more people enjoy this. And you know, the economical circle around those, those providers is working, the, the shops in Gaza, the, everything uh, improves. And Hamas finally, finally, finally starts to understand how important it is to keep his control in Gaza. Uh, before that, Hamas had his nationality. Well, the, the things that were important for Hamas leadership were money, political force, nationality, and only then you got to the food for the people, education and medical mm-hmm. help. And you can see it with Hamas shooting rockets at, at, at the trucks standing on the border waiting to bring in food to Gaza mm-hmm. because it was not cooperating, uh, because it was not co- uh, coordinated with Hamas. So mm-hmm. we would shoot rockets. Or we shoot rockets on the on the only there's only one cross at the Arab cross for people coming out of Gaza. Mm-hmm. People go to get treatment in Israeli hospitals. You probably know this in Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. and Hamas is shooting rockets on the Arab cross mm-hmm. because he doesn't like this idea. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, we see Hamas stay out of action because he knows he has a lot to lose, mm-hmm. and he see the good things possible with uh, playing by the rules with Israel. Yeah. Now, I know that uh, some Israeli strategic analysts say that that Hamas uh, also doesn't mind Palestinian Islamic Jihad getting weakened a little, which I, I understand the IDF really bloodied their nose. Uh, Hamas exploits the Islamic Jihad sometimes uh, gives them a little leeway to fire some rockets, but they don't want them to get too strong. And this uh, this actually serves Hamas' interests. Again, I agree that some people think this way, and I guess Hamas wouldn't mind that much. But we do believe it's not the reason why he did not join this. Uh, yeah, okay. Because, because, because Hamas paid... Uh, paid his share to the there's you know there's a couple of organizations in Gaza and now they have they joined forces and they have like a joint committee and Hamas is is paying uh, his part on this committee by not joining in by not mm-hmm. joining in 
but he makes the calculations and what he earn, what he benefits from not from staying outside. Mm -hmm. It's more. Yeah. Okay. Look, I, I just want to go over a few details about uh, where, you know, what was the scorecard out of this latest rocket war. Of course, we had the second Lebanon war in 2006, which was a major 34-day war, primarily in the northern half of the country. And then down along the Gaza border, uh, you've had four major wars. I guess this was like a you know, another escalation, uh, really, uh, you know, for three days, but uh, almost 1,200 rockets fired by Palestinian Islamic Jihad in about 66 hours from Friday to Sunday. Um, 200 of them fell short. There were 44 Palestinians killed and maybe a third of them, 15 or so, probably killed by rockets that misfire, Islamic yeah. Jihad fired, but they fell inside Gaza. The Iron Dome, those that reached Israel and were heading for populated areas uh, around almost 400 rockets, the Iron Dome took down 96% of them. They've really improved it. It's gone from 80 some to 88 to 92, uh, and now this time 96% success rate. Um, and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, they lost uh, this big tunnel project, uh, an active terror project that they hadn't quite finished, but it was going to go into Israeli territory. That got destroyed. They lost quite a few weapons factories where they're making their own rockets, command centers, observation towers, 17 observation points. And some of them, when they were taken out by the IDF, there were people in it. You could see them flying out of the towers and all. That's some of the footage that we've seen. 12 uh, commanders of uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, including the commander in the north and the one main one in the south digging this terror tunnel. And uh, I mean, those were two key figures, plus yes, the, the, the highest ranks in, uh, in the Islamic yes. Jihad. And, and there were two guys uh, who, uh, one is on a hunger fast, the other is the one captured in Janine. They were demanding that they be released. The IDF didn't, or Israel did not agree to release them. And the ceasefire, they still agreed to the ceasefire. That's a big win for Israel. No prisoners released and no uh, Israelis killed. We did have some injuries and you have to live with the, the trauma. My question is, um, you know, that's a pretty good beating. Uh, and, and it really shows they had the intelligence on Palestinian Islamic Jihad, what were their targets versus Hamas targets and all. Um, but uh, do you have a sense that it's gonna be quiet in the, there for a while? Is this ceasefire gonna hold? Is there anything in the ceasefire that troubles you? Well, uh, first of all, uh, regarding the numbers you mentioned, I, I would like to, to talk about the, the children that were killed on this uh, uh, on this escalation, and I think when you when you when you talk about number, uh, you must uh, start with this uh, with these numbers. These are children in Gaza, like sixteen or so. Yes, and I think there was a five years old one as well, if mm -hmm. I if I remember right, and and this is a uh, this is very uh, we feel uh, very bad about it. Uh, I must say this, 
Uh, you have to remember that until 20 years ago, uh, we used to go in Gaza. Uh, people from there used to come to, our, to us. We were working together. We were like family friends. We used to attend uh, the events on, on family events on both sides. And we are all looking uh, for these days to come back. Uh, so our, our friends are there. Okay, most of the people in Gaza are normal people like us who just want to have good education, food on the table for the children, looking for a good future for their children. Um, if you leave aside the, the small amount of terrorists, this is the major majority of Gaza. Um, and, uh, and now, if you're asking if this is gonna hold on or not, uh, I guess nobody really knows because as, as, as we talked, as we, uh, as we realize now, uh, shooting and escalations are not necessarily uh, starts because someone is shooting at someone. It can start uh, from different uh, reasons. It can it can start because some someone in the leadership is not uh, do not like the treatment the people in jail gets in the Israeli jail, and it can start uh, because uh, the activity in the West Bank in Jenin is 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 on. The IDF is still working in Jenin to to find some uh, people, some wanted people, and. This is something that can easily turn uh, turn the the fire again. If if the wrong thing happens there, if the if the work is not uh, uh, accurate enough, and a mistake happens in Jenin again, the whole thing can start all over. Uh, if you if you isolate the Gaza Strip and the area, you can definitely say the ceasefire is is on and it will hold. Uh, but there are a lot of reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. a way of our control and a way of our area that can light this thing again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're hoping that stuff, uh, that it stays calm through uh, the Sukkot in October and uh, that we're free to come uh, we'll, we'll visit talk, you we'll then. We'll talk to the Hamas and we'll make sure uh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we really, if we want to, um, you know, stand with you, we can't just be fair weather friends. We have to show solidarity with you. We want to uh, come down and visit you. But uh, I mean, this leads to my next question is how can we be helping as Christians from around the world? How can we be helping the communities there in Sha'ar Negev and in the whole Gaza uh, periphery area? Well, it's a, it's a short question, but it's a long answer. So <laughs> please. Uh, first of all, uh, whoever listens, uh, uh, don't be, uh, don't feel afraid to come here in October. Uh, we, uh, my daughter, my two daughters live here, and everything is okay. As Ophir mentioned, ninety-five percent of the time it's okay. And if we do feel any severe uh, danger, we will let you know before you come. Don't worry. Uh, please uh, feel at home. It's our home. It's your home. Uh, you're most welcome. Um, so, and so regarding the, the, the security issue we have here for the long, for a very long time, I just want to remind you that the communities on the Gaza envelope are quite small and they're, they're very capable of uh, providing themselves. But when you need to have so many 
protected facilities like bomb shelter, or we call them safe rooms, uh, which needs a lot of concrete and a lot of a lot of metal, and you need them all over because you have, uh, we say 15 seconds, usually it's less. Uh, it depends where the rocket is coming out in Gaza from. If it comes out close to the border, we have much less than 15 seconds. Um, and small communities cannot afford all this concrete and metal. And this is where you stepped in a couple of years ago and helping us uh, a lot with those, uh, with the bomb shelters, with the safe rooms. Uh, this is a great help. And the idea is to try and keep our normal way of life under escalations and security issues. And take, for example, the, the clinic in the kibbutz or the small shop we have in every community. Um, if, the ro if rockets start flying, you have to close it. But if you have a, a safe room attached to the shop, you can open the shop and people can come. And if they hear the alarm, they will run into the safe place, wait a couple of minutes and go on shopping. Mm -hmm. this, these little things change the whole uh, uh, perspective. But I'm not gonna talk about concrete and metal now. I, I wanna talk about this, this conversation for you taking the time to listen to us. Uh, and for your interest and your concern to us along the years, this is not less important than concrete and metal because the, the strength of the people here, the resilience of the personal resilience and the community resilience of the people that lives here and, uh, and what brings us to come back, even if we go away for a couple of days to Jerusalem to wait till it's over, we come back after that to keep uh, working our fields, our farms, and keep living here and raising our families. And, and this is not all we do. Uh, Ophir mentioned it. After we take care of the education and the health and the security and resilience uh, and, uh, and the cultural life, this is not enough for us. We ask ourselves every day, what can we do to make this place better? So we develop new businesses and new job opportunities, uh, interesting careers for people. And this is the things that we're working on. And, and, and you can see the results. All the communities in Shara Negev are full. We are building new neighborhoods in all, each, each one of the communities. And they, these new neighborhoods are already full, booked. Uh, we have waiting lists for the next neighborhoods in the, in the communities. Uh, that means we're doing something right. And that means, and a lot of it is your help. Uh, to help you, you uh, you're with us along the years. That helps us uh, uh, bring our uh, communities uh, bigger and stronger, stronger in resilience. I mean, uh, and and to attract uh, young families to come and live in this in this area. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, everything you do in any of these fields is very important. Um, of course, you, you can, uh, if you look aside for a minute on the special needs uh, area, on the psychological services, the social workers, the resilience centers, is, it's, very, uh, it's very developed here, unfortunately. Uh, and this is uh, places that always help is uh, needed, um, which you are already involved, I guess, in part of it. Yes. Parts of it, yeah. Um, this is what it's all about, um, bringing us back to normal 
life as possible. And, and again, the physical help as the, as the mental help is, is or, or knowing that you're with us is not less important than the other, than the physical things. Yeah. And by coming, by coming to visit us, uh, this is a very big exciting excitement for us, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, maybe people do not show it, but when, when you want to come and visit us, and when you're here, we feel uh, our chest is full and we're full of uh, pride uh, for, for this. Yeah, if, if you have all that fruit out there waiting, we're coming. <laughs> that's, a, that's a check, promise. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, look, uh, the Sapir College is in in your uh, regional council, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's a good example. It's a college where, where you say, given the, the people of your area new opportunities, new jobs, hope for the future. I know Sapir, this college down there that's doing that for a lot of people. We're helping a lot of Ethiopians who study there, many others. We, we do all sorts of, uh, as you mentioned, the trauma and resilience centers. We've been supporting them. But the Sapir College, out in the main parking lot for students, we put a couple bomb shelters out there. And I think within a few days of delivering those, put them in place, someone uh, informed us they were in their car, the alarm went off, they ran in, and the, uh, a shell hit in the parking lot. And it, they feel it saved their life. Uh, I know that our friend... Um, uh, he's a former uh, Knesset member uh, who I lives. Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, ah, Shai, Shai Hermesh. Shai Hermesh. Okay. He, he, he uh, called Jürgen one day when Jürgen was in Germany and says, hello, is this Jürgen Bueller? And Jürgen says, yes, uh, what can I do? He said, you saved my life. What are you talking about? Well, he, he had used a shelter out near his home which had just been put in place and a, and a rocket hit right outside of it. And he, he testifies it saved his life. So we, we put these in public areas, serving daycares, medical centers, uh, other places. I think there's some factories in the area that didn't have adequate shelter. They were hiring new people, they needed more shelter. And so we really work with the local communities and we put uh, 139 shelters in the Gaza area communities from Karen Shalom all the way up into Ashkelon. And uh, there's still needs there. People, the, the area is growing. This is incredible to hear this. And uh, that means they're gonna need some more shelters in some of these areas. But Yachel, it's really great to hear a positive report and a positive attitude, and especially to hear that what we're doing is helping. Yes, I think, I think when you, when you will come here and we'll share with you the things that we're doing here. Uh, for example, the technological incubator we have here. And you mentioned Sapir College. It's not only the, the, the facilities we have, it's the ecosystem we create with these facilities. And if you if you meet the 35 startup companies that are working here in Sharanegev with connection of Sapir College, with connection to the high school, um, there's a lot of uh, special initiatives, uh, like an industrial park we're planning to establish on the border with Gaza, or the purpose of Palestinians coming to work in this industrial Gaza and take their salaries back home again. There's a lot. I don't want to do everything now, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot to see here. 
uh, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure you will uh, you will be uh, amazed at what's going on here, um, and and you will feel uh, that what you did by now is not only a lifesaver, a literally lifesaver, but also uh, developing uh, the entire area for very yeah. very high standards of, of okay. communication. Okay. I I think it's good that uh, we've informed our folks here who are listening in. There'll be more watching it over the weekend as we put this out on social media. Uh, look at these people. If you're within seven uh, to 10 kilometers uh, uh, of the Gaza border, then Iron Dome doesn't cover you. It's too short a range. The rockets go up and come down before the Iron Dome radar can pick it up. And they're, they're, the rockets they sent out to intercept these mortars and rockets can reach them. So these folks are very vulnerable. Israel is developing, hopefully, a laser system that will be more short range for these short range rockets. But until then, these people for years have been living under this constant rocket threat where when the escalations come and you're in bomb shelters uh, for day after day after day, you know, we heard stories of children that are, were afraid to take a shower and even parents afraid to take a shower for days and days because if they were in the shower and the red alert came on, they would never have enough time to get some clothes on and make it to a bomb shelter. And this is the sort of conditions they've been living in. And yet with our help, with the help of others, the IDF protecting them, they've been resilient. And not only staying there, their, uh, uh, their communities are growing, but they still have to do, deal with the trauma among uh, their children and even, even the, the families there. So let's be praying for them. Let's keep helping with shelters. And if you want to come and meet with these people, come to the Feast of Tabernacles in October. We're going to spend our last day down in the Gaza border area in Sha'ar HaNegev, having a, a solidarity rally with the community down there. Please join us then. Yachel, thank you to Mayor uh, Ophir Lipstein. Thank you to you. We've been talking to Yachel Ben-Ari, who's the spokesman for Sha'ar HaNegev and actually lives in the kibbutz that's closest to the era's crossing. And uh, anything else to add before we go? Again, uh, I'm inviting you here. Uh, be happy to have you here and meet you all. All right. Stay safe, your family, your community, and God bless you from Jerusalem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, okay, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the ICEJ weekly webinar. We're going to be back here next Thursday, same time, 4 o'clock. Uh, Israel time for with another uh, hot topic to talk about. Of course, uh, next Wednesday, again, we have our global prayer gathering. Join with uh, Christians from all over the world to pray for Israel, the region, and your own countries. And of course, the Feast of Tabernacles coming up 9 through 16 October, this Sukkot. Come join us here in the land of promise. God bless you from Jerusalem.